Thanks for tuning in to this week's message as we continue into our series, Relationship Status. This week, Trey is teaching on the subject of leaving and cleaving. Dive into the Word with us as we begin to unpack what a godly marriage looks like. Genesis chapter 2 is going to be the launching pad from which we project into our next to last message tonight of our relationship status series that we've been in. And we're going to jump around a little bit in the scriptures tonight because our status is about to change once again. So just a quick little recap as we've moved through the various phases that go into building a relationship. We go all the way back to the beginning. We talked about the need for there to be a physical attraction. And we talked about how that physical attraction, when you find someone that you're attracted to and you begin to learn a little bit more about that person that you might decide to go out on a date with them, singular, uh, to get to know them a little bit better. As you get to know that person a little bit better, that date turns into dating, so your relationship becomes a little bit more consistent and a little bit more exclusive, and then dating, like we saw a couple of weeks ago, then turns into the next step up, uh, which would be uh, courting. So at that point, when we were dating, we talked about that being the observation phase, where we begin to observe this person that we're dating and this relationship that we're in to see if this is somebody that I need to continue pursuing a relationship with or not, if God's leading us down this road or if He's directing us somewhere else. So dating, we think of observation, but courting, we think of being conclusion. I'm at this point now where I don't need to observe anything else. I've seen all that I need to see. I believe this is somebody that God might have for me to spend the rest of my life with. So now we step up to courting, and we're no longer observing, we're concluding. We're moving, hopefully, towards marriage at this point. And so our status tonight receives an upgrade as we go from courting to marriage. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. We see that the Word of God says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place of flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Our title for tonight is going to be Leaving and Cleaving. At this point in Genesis, God has completed creation. And as he's looking around, he begins to realize something, that there's not a, a helper that he would consider to be fit for Adam. And so we see here in Genesis chapter 2, God performs the first surgery, so to speak, uh, that has ever been performed. And he causes Adam to go to sleep and he opens up his side and he takes one of his ribs out. And then he goes off to the side and just by the power of his voice, like we were speaking about earlier begins to form a woman who was Eve. And after he has done, he shakes Adam and wakes him up. He's like, hey man, I got something I think you're going to like. And here comes Eve. 
And Adam had the responsibility of naming all the things that God had placed upon the earth. And so when he looks at Eve, he says, This shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so Adam appropriately named his helpmates. And God places them together within the covenant relationship of marriage, thus forever setting a divine pattern for how marriage is supposed to be. And there's a lot that I could say tonight about godly marriage to you guys. There's a lot that I could say about what it looks like and how you get to one. But I think that would, in a lot of ways, be an information overload. And there's not, a time, there's not enough time here tonight for me to get into all the details of that. So for the next few moments, within the context of the title that I just said, of leaving and cleaving, we're going to look at what we're going to call the three C's of marriage. So we're going to keep it real basic tonight. Things that need to be established on the day of your marriage and that need to be strengthened throughout the duration of your marriage. So the first C we find here in Genesis chapter 2 that we just read, which is simply the word commit. Commit. Marriage as God created it to be, listen to me, I'll say that again. Marriage as God created it to be, is to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. That was God's initial and still same design for how he wants marriage to be done. So when you reach this point of the relationship, we've moved beyond courting, remember we're looking at a marriage relationship now. When you've reached this point of the relationship, you might have dated for a little while and then you move beyond that and you've courted and now you're ready to enter into the covenant relationship of marriage. So in other words, at this point you are absolutely committed to the person that you were with. Absolute commitment. There is no partial commitment at this point. You are absolutely committed to the person that you are with. You're ready to spend the rest of your life with this person. So don't come to me one day if you say, well, I think I'm ready to get married. I found a person I think God wants me to be with. And I ask you the question, oh, is that right? Are you ready to spend the rest of your life with that person? Don't tell me, well, I don't know about that. The rest of my life, like, that's, a, that's a long time to spend with somebody. If I ask you, are you ready to spend the rest of your life with that person, and you tell me anything other than yes, then I'm going to say you're not ready for marriage. At this point, you are ready to spend the rest of your life with this one person. So God creates Eve and brings her to Adam, one man, one woman. He didn't make multiple Adams for one Eve. He didn't make multiple Eves for one Adam. One man, one woman. And in verse 24 is where we really begin to see the commitment that comes with a marriage relationship. God's Word tells us that, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall hold fast to his wife. Two things here. Two things here that I want you to see. Number one is this. You leave the parents. You leave the parents. Commitment means that my parents are no longer the primary relationship in my life. Does that mean that I just sever myself completely from my parents? Am I telling you that when you get married, you go to your mom and dad, you're like, hey, mom and dad, good run. Thanks for everything over the past 25 years, but we're done, and you're gone. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I still have a great relationship with my parents. I spend a lot of time with my parents. But what I am saying is, is that my parents and my relationship is not the primary relationship in my life anymore. My primary relationship, my primary responsibility, my primary obligation is to this woman sitting right here. You leave the parents and you start 
a new life of your own. So the first one, you leave the parents. Number two, you cleave to the spouse. You cleave to the spouse. Anybody know what that word means? Kind of a strange word, cleave. Literally, it means to cling to. To hold closely. To hold firmly. If I could get to you right now, I would give you all a practical example of what this looked like. But you cling. To cling. To cleave means to cling to. To hold firmly. To hold closely. Your marriage relationship should give a picture of unwavering commitment. Nobody should be able to look at the marriage relationship that I have with my wife and wonder whether or not either A, I'm committed to the relationship, or either B, is she committed to the relationship. You should be able to look at our marriage, if it is working as God intended it to work, you should be able to look at our marriage and say, man, they're committed to each other. They're doing their own thing. We've left mom and dad behind. We've started our own life, and we cleave to each other. Our relationship shows an unwavering commitment to each other. So on that special day that I know all of you girls in here are dreaming about is, is coming one day. That special day that's just all oh, you got it all planned out. I promise you guys there may be only like three girls in this entire place that don't have their entire wedding day more than likely already planned out to be exactly how they want it to be. So when that special day comes as you stand before God, family, and friends, you establish your commitment to each other. You establish your commitment to each other. But listen to me, this is important. Every day that follows after that, you strengthen your commitment to each other. That day you establish it in front of all these witnesses, in front of God. But every day after that, you commit to strengthening your commitment to one another. How do you do that? By constantly affirming your love for one another. By serving each other, by sacrificing for each other, by supporting each other, by protecting each other, by encouraging each other, by respecting each other. That's how you strengthen your commitment to one another. This is why marriage is a covenant relationship, because it is a relationship of commitment. That's what covenant is. Covenant can, can also mean commit, committed to, a relationship that you are committed to. Two. So now that we have the first C established for our marriages, let's move on to the next one, which I'm pretty sure you're going to like pretty well. So what you need to do is you need to start making your way back towards Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. We're about to catch back up on our couple that we left off a couple of weeks ago. So as we move from commitment in Genesis, where we focused on the first part of verse 24, as you're turning there, I'm just going to read to you the last part of that verse that we were just in because I stopped short a little bit on verse 24 in Genesis chapter 2. So the last part of that verse, after God says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife. He says this, And they shall become one flesh. Now, what is this one flesh business? Well, that's where Song of Solomon comes back into play and does an excellent job of illustrating for us what it means to become one flesh with the person that you are married to. So we move over to Song of Solomon chapter 4 where we find our second C, which is this. Consummate. Consummate. Some of you are like, what in the world is that? It means you're about to have sex. 
All right, just in case you're wondering. Second C, consummate. So our couple that we follow for so long, as we come to chapter 4 in Song of Solomon, they finally tied the knot. They've gotten married, and as we open up to chapter 4, as, as God's Word has been so faithful to throughout their entire relationship, it shows snapshots as it progressed. So now they have married, and now we're in chapter 4, and guess what we get a snapshot of? The stinking honeymoon of all things. If some of y'all have a fan that you brought with you, or you want to use that handout as a fan, I promise you, you're probably going to need it here in a little bit. Because it's fixing to get real, real hot and vivid in here in a moment. And some of y'all are going to be thinking, is this stuff seriously in the Word of God? Like, let's, let's just roll your sleeves up. Here we go. We're about to get a look at their honeymoon. And listen, listen to me. Sexual intimacy is not just part of the routine in the sense of, okay, we get married, we go to the reception, then we leave and have sex. Sexual intimacy is so much more than just a part of that routine. Sexual intimacy is vitally important because it helps bring your relationship into completion. That's why it's so important. So let's look at how this couple does it. Uh, I think on your handouts there, I kind of outlined it as honeymoon help. So I'm going to help you guys out with your future honeymoons, hopefully. So let's look at verse 1, chapter 4. Solomon is speaking here. Uh, and what you need to understand is that he is describing the beauty of his wife here in chapter 4 as he is taking her clothes off. Wow. I guess we're going to be mature tonight. That's good. I'll just like, just get to the details, man. We want to hear what's going on. Solomon is describing the beauty of his wife while he is undressing her here in chapter 4. And he compliments her beauty and he admires her beauty. So I want you to see step by step how they handle their honeymoon night with each other. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, Solomon speaks. He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. <laughs> I actually sent that to my wife earlier today. No lie. You can check her phone afterwards. I sent her, I said, your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> it gets better. Verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins and not... One among them has lost its young. You know what he's saying here? Solomon is excited because his wife has all her teeth. So he's like, bless God. My wife's got all her teeth. Which was actually somewhat of an issue back in Solomon's day. They didn't have hygiene like we have hygiene now. So he is just, I mean, he is sweet talking his woman on their honeymoon night. He's like, babe, mm, your eyes... They look like doves. Your hair, like a flock of goats. You got all your teeth. I'm just loving it. Go to the next verse. I want you to see the progression, all right? Can you see the progression so far? Uh, we've gone eyes, and we've gone hair, and then we've gone teeth. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Keep going. Verse 4. Your neck 
He's moving down. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields. All of them shields of warriors. Verse 5. Keep going. It's getting good. Here we go. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Anybody getting hot yet? He's moving down step by step. It's honeymoon night, baby. And he is treating his woman like a princess. He is complimenting everything about her. The eyes, the hair, the lips, the teeth, the cheeks, the neck, the breast. Solomon's loving it. Verse 6. Keep going. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Now, do you remember what we talked about? What are those references to? What he just talked about in verse 5, essentially. So he's saying all night long, all night long, all night long, this is about to be my playground. <laughs> Keep going, verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Hey, listen to me, ladies. How many of you, seriously, all joking aside, would love to be talked to like this on your honeymoon night? How many of you would love to have your man, as he's getting ready to consummate his marriage to you, lay you down and say, I see no flaw in you whatsoever. No flaw. Verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, and from the mountains of shepherds. That's some leopard, excuse me. That's some weird stuff going on right there. Uh, I don't, what exactly is he talking about? Let's get a little interpretation here. Verse 8. On this night, you guys need to understand a few things. Number one is that even though your wife, at this point, I promise you, trusts you fully, she will feel vulnerable. She will feel vulnerable on this night. That's not a bad thing. Girls, not a negative thing. But she will feel vulnerable. And so as he points these places out, they were known to be treacherous areas. They were known to be dangerous areas. And it even has that kind of a tense danger to it, right? He talks about the dens of lions. And he talks about uh, leopards on the mountains. So he's saying, in other words, you can feel vulnerable, but as a husband... On this night, his job is to make her feel safe and comfortable. He makes her feel safe and comfortable. Keep going, verse 9. You have captivated my heart, my sister, which was a common term of endearment for them in relation to their wife, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Verse 10. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride, how much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? Man, Solomon admires this woman. And on this particular night where she's fixing to give herself over to him, yeah, she feels a little bit vulnerable. She feels a little bit timid at first, and there's nothing wrong with that. But a godly man that cherishes his wife does not just... Use her to fulfill his sexual fantasies. He makes her feel safe. He makes her feel comfortable during the entire process. And things progress. In verse 11, check it out. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance 
of Lebanon, verse 12. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. And now the description's changing tones a little bit. Verses 1 through 10, he was describing her beauty. In verse 11, he's not describing beauty. He's describing taste. So what that tells me in verse 11 is that they're having a little kissing session going on. He talks about the taste of her lips. And so we're given this vivid imagery of they're locked up. They're kissing each other. He's kissing on her. She's kissing on him. He's describing this intoxicating feeling that it brings about to his mind. And then he's, he says, verse 12, A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Oftentimes in those days they would have these beautiful flower gardens or orchards. And most of the time they would have a gate that would be locked at the front. And so the imagery that he portrays is that his wife is someone that has restricted access and reserved access for one person and one person only, and that's her husband. She doesn't open herself up in this way to anybody else other than him. Moving on, verse 13. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard. Verse 14. Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, all with choice spices. Verse 15. A garden fountain, a well of living water, flowing streams from Lebanon. So he begins to describe what her garden that she has kept locked up is like for him. And it's full of all kinds of just awesome stuff. He's talking about her sexuality. It's just full of all kinds of awesome stuff. So as he's worked his way, down. We've gone from the eyes to the hair to the teeth to the cheeks to the neck to the breast and now we're kissing and now he's ready to rock and roll and he's explaining how awesome all this looks laid out in front of him right now. What you really need to see is that he's describing the delight that they are experiencing. God is absolutely 100% for sex within the context of marriage. We gave you guys a hard message last week talking about sexual sin and all the ways in which it can be bad, in which it can be damaging, in which it can be hurting. But this is good. This is good. That's what Solomon says. If you, don't, if you have to make a little side note in your Bible, verses 13 through 15, just write, Solomon thinks this is good. This is good stuff, and God is absolutely for it. He wants you to enjoy sex. That's why he gave it to us. Sex does not come from the world. Sex comes from our Father. He created it, and he intended it to be used for good. So as we get to verse 16 in chapter 4, Check out what Solomon says. He says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Solomon's ready, man. He is ready to go. Basically, the best way I know to explain it, because I know some of this stuff just sounds completely foreign to you guys. It's completely foreign to me in a lot of ways, too. A lot of studying that goes into understanding all this stuff. Solomon's saying, hey, enough of all this other stuff going on. It's about that time. 
Like, and see, here's the thing, guys. One thing you got to remember. Remember, this is called honeymoon help. I'm trying to help you guys out for the future. Because here's how us guys work. We're ready to go as soon as we walk in the room. Like, it's rock and roll time. But girls, you ain't like that. And guys, in case you don't know, girls ain't like that. All right? Y'all just, are y'all getting tense on me again? <laughs> Loosen up a little bit. It's going to be okay. Uh, I know this isn't the kind of stuff you used to come into church in here. And you're like, some of y'all might be the first time you've ever been here. You're like, what kind of church is this? <laughs> Never coming back to this place. Simon's ready to go. You guys on your honeymoon night, you're you going to roll up in the hotel or wherever it is you're staying at night, uh, and you're going to be ready to go. As a matter of fact, when you get in the car to leave from the wedding, you, you, you're going to be ready to go. And y'all can act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about sitting up here, but I promise you, you know, girls ain't like that. That's when, why when they get to the bedroom, Solomon takes his time. He takes his time. And he makes sure that she understands how special this is to him. And how delightful it is to him. And how it's not just something that he wants to use her for. It's something that he genuinely wants her to delight in with him. And so he's ready. And so he throws out this invitation in verse 16. Basically he's saying, alright babe, just permission to move forward. Let's do this. What's she going to say back to him? Well, he gets his answer in the second part of that verse. When she speaks, she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Consummation. There it is. She gives him permission. Verse 1 in chapter 5. We'll just go ahead and read that. Solomon speaks again. He says, I came to my garden. My sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh, my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. So she gives, he asks for permission. She says, come on, big daddy. And he says, you ain't got to tell me twice. Consummation. Three C's of marriage. Listen to me. On your special day, on your special day, you establish sexual intimacy. But just like with commitment, along with consummation, along with sexual intimacy, you don't just establish it on that day. You continue to strengthen it as you move forward. Every healthy marriage needs to carry with it a healthy sex life. And when you do it within the bounds by which God created it to be done in, you won't have any trouble with it. You may find some roadblocks along the way. You may encounter some difficulties with your sex life as far as physical needs go. But I promise you, do not get into your marriage and just decide that you're not going to have sex with each other. It is important that you strengthen this area of your marriage as well. One more C, if y'all can handle it. Matthew chapter 19. Skip over one more time. Matthew chapter 19, so we've got commit, we've got consummate. Now in Matthew chapter 19, we've got our last C, cement, cement. You're probably like, what in the world is that? Well, don't worry, I'm going to explain it. Verse 
Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 3. God's Word says this, And the Pharisees came up to him, him being Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, with the religious people, and they're asking him about divorce. But did you notice how Jesus addressed their question? He didn't address their question based off the sinful actions by which they asked it of him. He addressed their question based off the initial design that God gave for marriage. He says, have you fools not heard? It's no different. It's no different. God laid it out in the garden with Adam and Eve. says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus affirms the design that God had already laid out for marriage. And then he goes on to make an important statement. He says, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. You know how the process of cementing works? It takes a variation of things. One, you need gravel. Number two, you need sand. And then the third thing you need is water. And what's interesting about this process is that as you begin to mix the sand and the gravel together with the water, it begins to create a bond that binds all those materials together, which then forms your cement or your concrete. You ever picked up a concrete block and just tried to rip it apart? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so if you will take this and apply it to your marriage, your marriage needs to be cemented. Sand, gravel, water. Man, woman, God. You can put the sand and the gravel together in the same bucket. But if you don't pour the water over those materials, they'll never bind together. Yeah, they'll be touching each other. Yeah, they'll be within close proximity. But all you have to do to separate it is pick the bucket up and pour it back out and sweep the sand off over to the side. But when you pour the water in there, the bond takes place. And those materials become inseparable. When you take one man, and you take one woman, and then you take God and you pour him all over that marriage, a bond takes place then that becomes inseparable as long as you keep him mixed into your relationship. Cement your marriage together. Therefore, what God is joined together, let not man separate. Your marriage will face hardship. Your marriage will face difficulties. Your marriage will face trials. Many of you probably come from homes that have seen a failed marriage. That doesn't have to be you. That doesn't have to be your life. That doesn't have to be the footsteps that you follow in. Because I'm telling you, I'm tired of within God's house, men and women of God supposedly coming together and then allowing something of this world, something selfish, some temptation to rip apart what God had put together. Can we treat marriage a little more holier than that? 
One man and one woman come together and they pour God out all over their marriage and they say, yeah, you know what? It might be hard. There might be difficulties. There might be temptations along the way. But I'm going to keep God covering over my marriage. So crash upon it all you want to, Satan. You're not separating what God has put together. I'm all about putting together men and women of God that will live out godly marriages for this world to see because there's not enough of them left. You find you a godly man, you find you a godly woman, you get together and you get married and you pour God all over that thing. And then watch Him bind it together. Cement your relationship to each other in a way that nothing can tear it apart. Marriage, just like that concrete, is meant to be a permanent bond. Permanent bond. Leaving and cleaving. Find somebody that you want to get married to. Leave the parents behind. Cleave to your spouse. Follow the three C's, man. Commit, consummate, cement. We pray that you have been encouraged and uplifted by the message. In a society that contains so many failing marriages, it's so important that we know and understand how to build marriages that last. Building our marriage around Christ keeps it holy and honoring unto God. So let's make sure to always keep Him at the center of our relationships.